I'm good. I'm really good. How are you? I'm I'm okay. I'm a little uh, a little disorganized. I was about to take a picture of my very messy office and send it to you, oh. so you would know how disorganized I am. But then I decided that um, that was probably pretty silly, and um, I should just get ready for the podcast. So I have. Um, I, if I sound a little weird, I have uh, I have my microphone from home, but I have um, don't, I didn't bring the 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 boom arm as they say uh-huh. yes and and so i'm i'm kind of in this weird position where i'm like hunched over my desk so that my voice my my mouth is close enough to the microphone because if i if i sit up if i sit up straight and try to talk it probably sounds like i'm very far away it's true it's true you do i um i i've been using no boom for a while so so maybe i always sound like i'm far away no, actually, I think I you're just. Hunch. I think you're just short. Yeah, it's, that's that's actually true. I just, um, I'm so on top of things this morning that I just sent you a picture of my messy office. Oh man, yeah, there you go. Wow, geez, you're you're just like you're just like know. shucking and jiving. I don't know what's going on, um, but I feel I feel good. It's uh, I, you know why? Like you know that you should. I think so. R E S P E C T. Is that <laughs> no. a different song? That's a different song. And it's a completely oh. different song. I know, but both are very popular oh, wedding. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. There is that. They're both part of the wedding song genre. Yes. Um, I with all uh, with all the emails that Doug sends to us about James Brown recently, you'd think you'd be more up on your James Brown Ben. I'm disappointed in you. I know, I know. I'm uh, I, I'm just I'm really still obsessed with the Rolling Stones, like absolutely into like back catalog. Well, I guess not back catalog, just non non hit stuff. I have no time for anything else. All I have are the Stones, just me and, and Keith and Mick. <laughs> I think there's more than that. In yeah, the there's Charlie and Mick, Mick, the other Mick and <laughs> Brian. I, look, I'm I'm telling you, it's uh, there's a level of, of obsession that is unparalleled uh, to what I've gone through um, for for music since uh, uh, since my Neil Young um, addiction. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's weird. That's weird. Uh, that's saying something. It is. It is saying something. It is. Um, so there, you know, they have some great concert documentaries, and the most recent one is one called uh, Shine a Light that Scorsese did about six years ago, five or six years ago. And I uh, um, uh, acquired it this weekend and uh, put it on because Jack, my five-year-old son, or our five-year-old son, has uh, a, a healthy obsession with the, the song Jumpin' Jack Flash because wait, his name wait, is in we, it. We have a five-year-old son? We do. We have. <laughs> we, yeah, we, <laughs> the, the listeners didn't know that. It's... <laughs> it's... um. I, I, I guess what, – what do they say that's uh, telling tales out of school, Don? Is, is that what we just did? I don't even know if that's the right cliche for them. But, yeah, we've got a five-year-old. Well, my wow. wife and Danny and I have a five-year-old. Oh, okay. I always hate oh, saying so my five-year-old. Cause right, because like, he's not yours. It's yeah. – uh, it's yeah, no, I understand. Like Danny was involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I, I, I constantly kind of stop myself. So I did that. Jesus. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. And that was that. well done. And, and shame on me for making a silly joke. Yeah. Yeah. Shame on you. Um, <laughs> so um, so I, I showed him this uh, shine a light and he uh, decided three three things came out of it. One was um, he only wanted to watch the Jumpin' Jack Flash track over and over again. So we watched it five times in a row. Um, number two, uh, I... 
uh, the, my my obsession right now is not with Mick Jagger and it's with Keith Richards. And so I kept pointing out, I was like, look at the guitar player. And he kept pointing out, he looks like a pirate. And I was, I kept saying to him, that's true. He does look like a pirate because you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean and he's in it. And he couldn't equate that it was the same person. But also, like, he also said that he looked um, like a girl because uh, I think he's wearing eyeliner, which it's that's what Keith Richards looks like. Um, the other uh, thing that he took away from it was that he really liked Mick Jagger for his, uh, quote, dance moves and because he was wearing a, a sparkly shirt. And uh, those uh, those two things were, were really appealing to him. So so Jack, um, I, I will I'm going to demonstrate, and, and clearly you or the listeners can't see me right now. But his favorite move that Mick Jagger does includes putting his hands up directly over his head and shaking his booty, as uh, Jack said. So uh, that's a Mick Jagger move that I learned. Uh, but again, this is, this all comes back to this very, I, I don't know if it's unhealthy or healthy obsession with the stones right now, but it is, uh, it has taken over my life. <laughs> so, yeah. So just, just to recap, um, uh, dance moves, sparkly shirt. Good. Yes. Eyeliner makes you look like a girl and or a pirate or a pirate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we can only listen to the song that he knows. Over and over. Which is Jumpin' Jack Flash. Yes. Which is a pretty awesome song. I think it's, at some point, one of my sons was also equally obsessed with that song. So, yeah, uh, it is It is a song that it is easy for one to get obsessed about. Uh, yes. I, I've, I, I'm kind of over it because he's been obsessed with it for a while and before my, my Stones obsession. But there are other songs um, that are on multiple different you know, compilations or albums that that I'm now having healthy obsessions with. Um, like maybe one, I don't know if you know it, but a song called Salt of the Earth from Beg- Beggar's Banquet. Do you know this song? I do not. So it's a song, it's the last track on that album, and Beggar's Banquet is uh, um, one of their like sort of end of their really hot phase. I think it was 68. Um I know this mainly because of reading this book, uh, Keith Richards' Life. Um, but uh, it's it's one of the first songs that um, Keith Richards sung on. Uh, yeah, 1968, and uh, um, and it so he sings the first um, the first verse, or the, actually the first two lines of the first verse. And uh, so I started playing this maybe three weeks ago a lot in the house, and now it's become Danny's favorite song as well. And there's this, this is how my obsession is going. So I've also acquired some, um, I don't know if it's a bootleg or if it was an album that was only released on vinyl, but the Stones did a, um, a concert in 1989 in Atlantic City. And this was part of the Steel Wheels tour. Um, and uh, uh, Axl Rose and Izzy from Guns N' Roses joined them on stage and sang it on this version that I have. They've only played it live five times, and that was one of them. <laughs> that's very <laughs> cool. It is really cool. So anyway, that's uh, that's my level of obsession right now. Well, it's 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 deep. So you know, since you're obsessing, I think this fits straight in your in your wheelhouse on this, or at least your son's. So um, there is, of course, a song called "Jumpin' Jack Flash." There is also a movie. Yes. Starring Whoopi Goldberg. It is a spy comedy film, according to Wikipedia, um, uh, which is Penny Marshall's uh, directorial debut. And it's a it's a pretty good movie, actually. 
I'm, I've so, never seen it. I mean, I, I knew, I know, I know about it. It was on. Uh, I remember it being on cable, um, you know, TV as a Saturday afternoon show. I'm sure edited down, uh, but I've never seen it. Yeah, 1986, and, and again, it's probably been a while, like probably mid 90s since I've seen it. But but pretty uh, pretty <laughs> well, uh, uh, according to Wikipedia, it received generally negative reviews, earning an <laughs> approval rating of 28 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But two thumbs up from me, <laughs> and and certainly I think your son would like it. He probably would. I uh, <clears throat> I, I think I might uh, I might have to show him this. We're we're in the midst of. Um, there's a list of a hundred films that uh, one of my one of my friends who I play hockey with, um, who has kids a few years older than than mine, he he said sent around this list of a hundred films that every child needs to see before they're 13. I'm not sure if Jumpin' Jack flashes on it, but I'll check it out. Um, but uh, but we're in the midst of like showing Jack some like back catalog films, um, and he has a. Um, he really likes the Indiana Jones um, uh, series. Uh, he's he's seen Ghostbusters recently, which I, is not super age appropriate. Um, and and E. T. and I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast, but he we showed him E. T. maybe five or six months ago, and that's another one where um, you know it seems like this great kids kind of movie, uh, except the opening scene is a bunch of like. 10 year old sitting around a, uh, a table and the kitchen table smoking and, and their mom's like, Hey, do you guys want pizza? Uh, <laughs> okay. Which is really like, I guess when, you know, in the eighties that was, that was okay. Or, or maybe it wasn't okay, but it wasn't as nearly as crazy as, um, as it would be now. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't have that in any, you know, diary of a wimpy kid or anything of, of that ilk. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. A Diary of a Wimpy Kid came up uh, recently on a Back to Work episode. Uh, yes. Where I think Merlin did his, uh, uh, you know, typical, he, he does it so much better. But anyway, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know about it. I'm not, our, our kids are not into it yet. Yeah, Mike, I think that came after the, the window of time uh, when my kids would have been into it. But uh yeah, there were R.L. Stein was real big when they were growing up, and then there was this not called Transformers, but there's this sort of anyway. There, there was similarly horrible stuff that kids could be reading back in the days. And again, it's at one point, it's like you just want your kids to read, and then you know, then you care about like, okay, are they reading something worthwhile, and then try to fine tune that. But I don't know. I mean, I went through a phase as a kid growing up where I read like Hardy Boy books, which are not great literature, but you know they were fun and entertaining, and um, and I enjoyed it. And oh, what was the other one? Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah, I devoured those books. So, did you ever read the uh, Three Investigators? You know that no, one? No, no, I never did. That was like uh, is uh, uh, similar to Encyclopedia Brown, but um, it was these three kids. You know, it was, it, it, I mean, it was like Scooby Doo. Basically, three kids that that all hung out together and solved mysteries. Um, and there was there was always you know some some level of clues early on. And and you, I, I I read a lot of those. I, I never really got into the Hardy Boys, um, but was was really into them. Uh, and then it's, it's funny we we're talking about this because last night, last couple of nights, Jack's been really um, starting to read um, not not Harry Potter type books, but sort of early reader books about. Time travel and um, 
and adventures and and i i don't even know what the name of the series is but it's you know, a brother and sister who find this tree house and then they um they, they open up picture you know, books and pointed pictures and the pictures take them off to all these lands and then they get all these experiences um but it reminded me of a book series that i was obsessed with and probably you know i, I was probably in um fifth or sixth grade or maybe a little earlier but it was about it was called the key to uh, or it was part of the key to a treasure you know about this one i think it's from the 60s no but i read a lot of books like that as a kid and actually your discussion made me think of the wrinkle in time yeah you know classic uh yeah book about time travel and kids having adventures yeah it was it's it's kind of fun to get back into this stuff a little bit like you know like uh like our comic books discussion a few episodes ago that my uh they're you know I'm I'm reliving some of this, like playing with Lego and um, a lot of stuff that I that I loved when I was a kid that that was you know kind of gone from my life for 30 years and now all of a sudden it's back and and the, and just to see the that my kids are really into it is really it's it's interesting. I'm sure you know you you've you've gone through all this, so it's um, so it's nothing new, but it's kind of it's it's fun to live it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so uh, so I'm good. You're good. You I'm are. good. I'm good. I'm in my office. I'm out of my element. I'm used to podcasting from my home office, and, and I'm podcasting from my work office today because I have to be in uh, in town all week uh, on campus all week because we're running a, a short course. So it's it's good. It's good to be to have that you know forcing me to be in my office. But I really my workflow has changed so much that I just uh, I'm much more in my comfort zone at, at home um, because I've made that so comfortable, and now. The office feels kind of, you know, I'm not here enough and it's just stacks of stuff that I don't do because I'm never here. And then it just creates that anxiety about about stuff. But anyway, it's uh, and I'm mostly I'm just feeling weird because I'm hunched over my desk so that my my mouth is close enough to the microphone. That's the, I think that's the main thing that's bothering me. I see. I see. So and, and you know, the other thing, too, having the boom mic. It's a lot easier to type and to move stuff around on your desk, and and I feel like with this on my on my desk, it's very like I can't touch the keyboard or slide the keyboard. Like if I slide the keyboard, you know, it kind of oh, it's not making a noise right now. But if I slide the microphone back and forth, oh, yeah, it makes yeah. that noise. Can't do that. And can't do that. The listeners don't like that. Um. So anyway, I just feel. Uh, I'm feeling like I should have just taken the extra time to bring the boom arm, and then I would be, feel less uh, awkward. Well, you're you're out of sorts. I am. That's that's I what am. my mom would say. Yes, bless her heart. Yeah, bless bless <laughs> Kazoo tight. Uh, she, um, I uh, uh, so so I'm I when now that you've mentioned this, like hunching over. In fact, I think every episode that I do in my office, I do hunch over, and and I've got an arm. This is fascinating for everyone, but I have an armchair. I'm that, I'm really I'm riveted. Yeah, that I that I lean on on my left side. Um, so I can get close to the mic and I've just found, I, I'm just now comfortable with this. This is the way that I do podcasts now because I have the same chair at home. So I assume I'm doing the exact same thing. Um, maybe afterwards my, my back hurts or something. Um, but I, I never really remember it. So, so maybe we'll just get used to it. Well, and you know, one of the things that I did, um, that I priced out when we were thinking about when we, when we were planning to do record a podcast in Indianapolis was a stand for the for the road podcaster which which I think would help because oh, that yeah. wouldn't it, and that would be you know again nice because it would it would raise it up to the level where you didn't have to to hunch and it would it would help a little bit I think with the the noise but yeah I don't know and we're going to have to I'm going to have to get this all sorted out because again just as I did 
last year I'm going to go, I'm going to be in Brazil for a month and I want to, of course, keep doing podcasts if I can. Um, yeah. so, uh, but, but I, I, that boom arm is a pain in the butt. So I think the stand, a stand for the, for the mic would be the best solution, but I've got a, I've got a, like I said, I scoped one out on Amazon. I just got to press the, press the buy button and get that all set up. And put it on your wish list. <laughs> yes. Maybe someone, does anybody ever surf your wish list? My, no one does for mine. I don't think know. it's public. Mm, yeah, I know. I have some pr- public ones and some private ones, but um, yeah, I I, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, how would you know if someone was searching your wish list? Of course, if they bought you something, you'd know. It should be like um, like LinkedIn, where you get a message every couple of weeks that three people have viewed your profile. Well, that's what I get. You probably get like forty people have viewed your profile, but I get this message like, "Oh, congratulations! People are looking." That's what I want on on, three- on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Huh. Eh, I don't I, I get don't, that. I so, mostly just get LinkedIn requests from people, which I mostly click yes to. Yeah, that, me too. And then I get this message every couple hmm. of weeks like, hey, you're, congratulations, you're popular. Mm, I never get that. I'm not popular. <laughs> no, you're, it's all relative. I think maybe you're just too, too popular. Maybe they're trying to get me <laughs> to be part of it. You have all these views and you know about it. You know, they assume you know about it. Speaking of popular... And social media, people like bourbon, Ben. <laughs> no doubt, I have. Uh, I have. I think my most popular um, uh, Facebook post ever. Um, so we should we should talk about this because it does it does eventually tie back into to food. Well, it ties directly to food safety. Yeah. So I, I visited uh, Wendy White and Todd White. Um, uh, Wendy White is a colleague of ours uh, who lives in Southern California, who's not Beverly Hills Wendy. That's a different Wendy. This is Southern it's con- Wendy. It's confusing. <laughs> now. Yes. Yes, it's southern. It's, it's southern Wendy, but but now Southern California Wendy. Yeah, well, she's is that still, a good way to do it? Uh, so we could we could call her Southern California Wendy, I suppose. That would that would be that would be confusing for people that know about Beverly Hills Wendy, though. Oh, true. <clears throat> but anyway, we visited them, and they have, Todd uh, Wendy's husband has an awesome. Well, they they together have an amazing liquor collection, and Todd likes bourbon, and so one night. I got a bunch of bourbons out, and I was tasting them, and I put a picture on Facebook, and it just exploded with lots of people chiming in, like, why aren't you t- trying this one, and I really like that one. And so I got the bright idea that – and there's, and most of the people that were chiming in were like food safety types. So I got the brilliant idea that next year at IAFP, we should do like a bourbon tasting one night. And I'm thinking my idea is – so I'm going to start with the people who, who like the post or who, who commented on the post, and I'll invite all of those people, but the the price of admission is a bottle of bourbon, and then you have to, and then it'll be my job as the 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 coordinator of this to make sure that everybody brings a different bottle, and then we just sort of set them up, and we all taste different bourbons. And I don't know, I mean, yeah. So the, the the only trick is to figure out which night at IAFP to do this. I, li- I like it. Um, so when you mentioned that uh, the uh, the way to get invited was to like the post, you know what I did. Good. Immediately. <laughs> Immediately. Good. So that's that's done. Check that off my list. I don't even have to put that in OmniFocus. Uh, <laughs> but I will. Um, I will bring a, a bottle of bourbon, even though I, I don't really know much about it. And I still have not had uh, um, real bourbon. Because um, you did have, as the uh, as the president, you had, you had a great bourbon, beer, and barbecue uh, party afterwards. Uh, right. After the end of IAFP, um, right. but it had uh, uh, some sour mash. Yeah, as a couple of annoying liquor nerds it, told me, you know, that's not really bourbon. 
So you're, you're like, whatever. It's like, well, look, I told, I mean, this is all me working through Lisa Hovey, working through the hotel. And it's like, you know, they, they had Jack Daniels. It's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. What am I going to call it? Sour mash, succotash and <laughs> soup. I, I mean, that's, nobody's going to come to that. I might go to that. <laughs> I'm a, maybe big, I'm a big fan I'm, of the succotash. I am. I'm a closet succotash man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I make a mean, uh, a mean uh, corn salad that resembles a succotash. Um, which I didn't know what it was until, um, you know, I, I just remember it as being something that uh, Bugs Bunny said all the time. Uh, but I'd never had it until I started uh, making some. So I, w- I would be into that. I don't like soup, though. So maybe <laughs> I know that was the – but I'd come. I'd come to oh, Sarmash. We could, we could like make – yeah, good. Well, there you go. But um, I think we're going to save that for next next year. But but but, yeah. but Portland, definitely we're going to do some sort of a fancy – I'm, I'm hoping. Anyway, we'll see if I run out of time or, or energy. But it doesn't seem too hard. I mean, the biggest the biggest problem is, well, hopefully people will show up, right? Yeah. Um, but then the, the biggest problem is where would you have it? Because it's going to, and then and then um, uh, Mark Carter suggested that we also have cigars, which I think is a great idea. But that means we're going to have to have it someplace where we can have liquor and cigars. Added um, level of. Of co- level of complexity, right? Um, so, and of course, it would have been great to do this year because I had the presidential suite. Um, we, I don't know. I may just tell Zinc that we're going to crash his room one night. He seems like you'd like that. <laughs> yes. yes. So, uh, yeah, just just make that ha- as as is your your pull as past president. You should be able to get to do something like that. So one, one would hope. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's the benefit? Why? Why put in your five years of, of time? <laughs> if I can't have a, oh. Yeah, if you can't tell Zinc, hey, hey, Don, we're coming over, drinking some bourbon. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, we, could, we could, we could, comp, we could, we could give him a free pass. Like everybody that comes has to yeah. bring a bottle of bourbon, except for him. Except for him. It's um, it's like the oh, who doesn't turn their phone off for a podcast? Oh, unprofessional. Come on, um, it's like the uh, um. Yeah, he I mean, he may have already even liked your post, so he he's going to get in. But well, it's forty seven people. No, yeah. no, you you, uh, Brian Souders, uh, my friend Ezra from when I was a a kid, and forty seven others like that post. So well, it's a big one. It's, um, a, it's, it's a big one. <laughs> I don't see Zinc's name on here, but we I mean, give him a pass on that. Yeah, and also uh, in in hockey, uh, there's a, an analogy here is um, because it's tough to be a goalie. And it takes a special kind of person, and the equipment's so expensive. Goalies don't pay to play. Oh, so, so that's so, why Doug's a goalie. Yeah, well, it has to do with his. Uh, it fit in nicely with his cheapness. Yes, I was yeah. going to say cheapness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it just was that perpetuated itself. Um, but yeah, so so Zinks Zinks our goalie. He doesn't have to show. He's just. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's good. <laughs> Um, so have you have you recovered? You had, I mean, you had a busy year, and and getting ready for for that meeting as well. Uh, you know, I saw you. We recorded a podcast, a super special uh, edition of Food Safety Talk with uh, with Doctor Freeze, um, and uh, and I mentioned to you, and and I said that you, you you look you look like you're tired because there's a lot going on. So have you have you had a a week now to to uh, to re re um, calibrate yourself? <laughs> a weird way to put it yeah well so the week before iafp 
we were on vacation, which involved some driving. And then I flew to IAFP, and I didn't really get too too much time off. I mean, Saturday was a little bit relaxing. We only had the the script read through, and then you know a little bit a little bit of free time. Mostly that was spent catching up on email and stuff. Um, I pretty much stayed on top of work stuff during the meeting, and of course, it's a tremendous like. Hi. I mean, everybody, everybody keeps coming up to you and saying, oh, it's a fantastic meeting. Congratulations. And of course, my response is, well, thank you. But it's really the program committee yeah. and I didn't do anything, but thank you. And it was just a really an awesome, uh, awesome feeling. And then the end it with that party was just spectacular. Um, and then um, we flew home on Thursday got organized on Friday and then Saturday flew off to Southern California um, to visit Southern California, Wendy, and to meet her husband, Todd, who's just a, he's an incredible, I mean, she's, she's great, but he's also an incredible individual, very interesting. And they are the most amazing hosts. So thanks to them for showing us such, you know, warm Southern and Southern California hospitality while we were there and, you know, didn't work too terribly hard, worked, worked a little bit there and then spoke at the Southern California affiliate meeting on Wednesday, but mostly it was just like a few days of relaxation before that. Um, and then came back and then had the weekend to kind of recoup. So I'm, I'm mostly, mostly feeling rested and relaxed. I'm a little bummed about having to get up and put on pants and go to work this week um instead of getting yeah, up and, and and putting putting on shorts and and working from home but I'll, i think i'll i think i'll manage but no i'm i'm feeling pretty i'm feeling pretty rested so yeah it was but it was it's been a hectic uh 3 weeks yeah it's um i you know my, my experience at IFP is always one of um exhaustion i think i i try to uh, pack a lot of uh, social time as well as uh, everything else that's going on in the meeting and into a short few days. And last year I was, um, I was, I was burnt out actually. I mean, left early. We had a complicating factor that, that um, Sam had been sick. So, and it was in Charlotte, so I could drive home. So I ended up leaving Wednesday morning, um, which I, which I typically don't do. Um, and, but, but, and, you know, I've never had anything really official to do. You know, I give a couple of talks and I go to a couple of PDGs and, and do my thing, but it's still exhausting. I've not, so I can, um, I, I looked at, at your, um, responsibilities and your schedule and, and just, you know, you're the, the figurehead of the organization for the, um, you know, for the, for the meeting, just, you know, meeting people and talking to, to lots of folks, um, would, be something that uh that's um that's tiring so uh i i commend you for um for doing it and it's i mean it's a build-up right like you you've, you've done a lot of this for the last five years as being a board member but then you have this ultimate year of um of being sort of everywhere and and having uh you know lots of responsibilities so um so and and you still have another year of 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 some of those responsibilities right so yeah. Right. And, well, and, and one thing that made the meeting easier. So I did. I did give a talk, which which I think is good. I think it's important um, <clears throat> to to not shirk from those responsibilities. And this was a, a talk based on a paper that I've been working on with uh, my CDC and, and SNET colleagues. <clears throat> I, I've always pronounced it EHSNET, but I learned at the session that it's pronounced SNET. Oh. So, um, <laughs> I've uh, also done that incorrectly. Yes, but when you say SNET, people don't know, think it's S-N-E-T, but it's E-H-S-N-E-T. But anyway, um, 
so so um gave that talk and this was the right time to do it because the work had just been finished and they were putting together a symposium on stuff that SNET has done over the years or, or recently and so I felt it was important to do that and then there was another roundtable session organized by um, you and Todd who uh, who wanted to do something on predatory journals and so it ended up really being a really nice roundtable discussion about publishing and, and we had somebody from a publisher there who could comment and it just was a was again it was just the right time to do it and I felt like it was important um, to put that in my schedule. And then, of course, all the presidential stuff. Uh, but the thing that I didn't do really except for the session that – the, the SNET session I spoke in, I didn't go to any talks, right? So the – you know the oh, and then I had a poster which was based on research done by a student, and I made the poster, um, and then another one of my students took it to the meeting, put it up, and took it down, and I I shirked my responsibilities there. I did not stand in front of the poster when I was supposed to, but but yeah. So part of the reason why the meeting was manageable is I didn't do any of the normal stuff that you do at a meeting, which is sit in sessions. Uh, I mean, I just didn't have time for that, and it ended right. up being okay, um, and. I haven't had time to go to many sessions recently anyway, which is unfortunate. But at the same time, it's like, well, I'm there at the meeting. I'm going to go to some sessions by accident, or, you know, <laughs> but um, – and, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean at some point, obviously, you need to, you need to get back into going to sessions and, and you do interact with people even if you don't go to sessions. But, but even the PDG meetings, I mean I didn't really go to any PDG meetings because as president – I have other things. I've got to go to the uh, affiliate breakfast and then the, the management committee meetings for both of our journals. And then I'm the liaison to the past president's uh, committee. And so, you know, there was just stuff to do, which involved not going to PDG meetings, which thank God the other officers picked up the slack. I mean, this, their schedules on that, that day were horrendous. I mean, nine, 10 PDG meetings to go to. So thanks to them for doing that. Well, hey, I got the the two meetings that I went to. You were in, so I feel kind of kind of lucky. <laughs> and, and, and noted, um, I uh, chair the task force, which is not a PDG. So you did come to a task force. I, too. I, I did, I did, and that one was not on my. That was uh-huh. kind of the one optional one, but that one I kind of feel responsible for because number one, I led it, and number two, I think I anointed you or appointed <laughs> yeah, you, you or fix- delegated you or whatever. So I kind of feel responsible for that one. Right, right. You got to keep me. Uh, uh, keep me on task. Make sure uh, we we got we we fix the the issue. Right. <laughs> so that was good. Um, I mean, so I mean, we talked about the the meeting and the super special podcast that we that we did. I, you know, I don't think we um, uh, if if listeners want to go and and listen to our real time thoughts about what we went to and and how we um, how we thought the the meeting went. Uh, check that out. And again, I don't know what the episode number is because we're all out of as my mom says, we're all out of sorts. Yeah. Uh, but, it, it, but it'll it'll all get sorted yeah. out. Um, and the good news is, is that I did get finally some productive work done on the podcast. And so I have the two audio episodes that I recorded while you were on vacation. I got those edited and uploaded and I had, we've had two volunteers to do show notes. And so I've delegated one episode to each of them. So that's, that's in the works. Um, and you've been working on the episodes that we recorded before you went on hiatus. So I think we're, we're going to have like, probably we could put out one episode a week (laughs) for, for a while. Or we're like all caught up. Yeah. Or we're like uh, Netflix. Where we where we put a whole season out in, on one day and then people binge listen to us. 
I don't know if we're if we're there. Uh, but yeah, no, you're you're right. We're we're almost. I mean, by the time uh, uh, we get through this uh, today, we'll be uh, we'll be really close to to being caught up, or at least well well on the way. Um, which which is good. I had you know you mentioned the um, the month or you know time that I had for vacation almost almost three weeks and man it was it was great. Um, I I appreciate um, you uh, f- grabbing John Bassett and Mike Batts to to fill in. It was um, fantastic to kind of step away and do some um, you know reflection and family time stuff. Uh, and so and I I mean not just with the podcast but I but I did that with a lot of the stuff that um, that I had going on and it, it's it, it, uh, it's not something that I have done um, sort of at all. But it was. It was great. I mean, I, I I've come back um, in a in a in a really good frame of mind and really excited to to get going on some new stuff and and so I I, I love uh, um, you know kind of doing doing this stuff. Um, but it was it was nice to step back and 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 get a you know uh, re-energized and re-excited about it and think about some some new things. So um, so I appreciate you uh, you finding folks to fill in for me. It's great. Oh no problem. And Mike and uh, John were both really happy to do it. And I think they're they're good episodes. Um, so hopefully uh, people I guess by the time they hear this they will have hopefully listened to those episodes and and liked them. So uh, yeah. So no no problem. It was fun to do. I just wish. <clears throat> I have been more organized about, I mean, I like recording podcasts. Um, uh, I don't really mind editing them. Show notes is a little bit of a drag. I mean, I like having, I like having good show notes. I don't like having to do good show notes. Um, but then the whole, all of that work, it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's not a ton of work, but it's enough work that it doesn't always get done. And so, um, I feel good that I recorded them, but I, I feel kind of bad that they didn't get posted. So, but anyway, that's, it's okay. They'll come out yeah. eventually and at soon we'll be all caught up. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, uh, it's like manuscript writing, right? Where I like doing the work. I like writing the proposals. I like getting it done and telling people about it. I don't like finishing it off the, you know, writing the letter to the, um, to the journal editors or, um, you know, getting that last step. That's always the worst for me. So I, I see the show notes are kind of the same way. So huh. it's it, like responding to reviews. Yeah. No, no. Responding to reviews is no problem. Mm-hmm. It's the, um, I have a 99 or 95% finished manuscript that needs another hour's worth of work. And then the submission process, which for every journal is kind of a different mm. situation, that's the that becomes the start the not stumbling block, but it's a part that like takes a uh, a little extra effort to do. It's it's always one of these things that are like oh, I'll do that while I'm sitting on the couch, and then when I'm sitting on the couch, it's like oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah, you know, um, one one of the things that's helped me is I count that as writing buddies time. Oh, that's good. <laughs> because because it's part of getting a manuscript published. I that's feel true. I feel it's legitimate. Now, again, maybe uh, maybe you and Michelle and, and Linda would disagree, but I, I count that because that's that's part of the work and that that's the push that says, oh, you know, that's some nice mindless stuff that I could do and I could get an hour's credit. I like it. I I am going to take your precedent. I don't I don't have a problem with that. Uh, that is, I'm going to do that from, uh, from here on out. So that's good. Um, cool. So, uh, we should, we should talk about food safety. Well, <laughs> we could, we I could, I know stuff. Yeah. Well, I noticed there was some action in the Dropbox cause you must've been editing something and I didn't, I didn't do any, well, again, as, as our, as is our usual pattern, I rec- do a bunch of stuff weeks in advance that's no longer relevant. And then you spend a whole lot of work the day of 
throwing in a lot of a lot of good stuff that we end up talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it's it works. It, it, it seems to it seems to go, and I, I try to dominate the conversation as much as possible with the things that are um, uh, relevant to me at the time of recording. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that's your personality. It is. It is. It's like uh, whatever, whatever I, whatever the new shiny thing is. That's all I want to talk about. Like the Rolling Stones, they're new and shiny, Don. Oh, speaking of speaking of relatively new and shiny, um, as I think we've talked about before on the podcast, um, my wife and I, when we're traveling, we listen to Car Talk, and but occasionally we run out of Car Talk episodes to listen to, and they're really not even the episodes we're listening to are not new. The the show is over, but they're like cutting together old recordings and, and, and they're continuing to put out quote-unquote new content. But um, we sometimes run out of those to listen to. And so one of the things that we, we found recently was a – it's kind of weird. It's So Alton Brown – who I'm sure is familiar to many listeners on the podcast is a guy who uh, is known for a cooking show called Good Eats, and he's, he's does quite a good job of introducing you know the science of cooking, and it really over the years has, has put together I think a tremendous body of work. Um, but he, and in fact, we learned about this um, from to just take it back to a few minutes ago from from Wendy and Todd. Uh, they have uh, collected so there's a book out there which is all of the basically. Uh, a book of all the Good Eats episodes where they produce all the recipes and they have summary text from from that. And uh, they clued us into the fact that Alton Brown has a podcast and um, and we downloaded a couple of episodes. There was one uh, where he interviewed uh, Jada De Laurentiis, which we could stand about fifteen min- five, five minutes of, and then we had to turn it off because it just they, they, the chemistry didn't click on those two. But there was another one that we listened to with William Shatner, which was also apparently done recorded as part of something that Shatner is doing, where he's interviewing people and talking about food, and it is stupendous. So I want to give a, a shout out to anybody that likes podcasts or Alton Brown or William Shatner. If you like like any of those three things, they don't have to like all of them. Any of those three things, it is, or food, or or food. Um, it, it is just, uh, it, it is the weirdest. Um, like like Shatner um, is is asking Alton questions about his growing up and the, his father, and it's just, uh, it's yeah. So so Shatner has this thing called. Uh, First we feast, I think. Um, it's it's a, it's a, again it's it's a brown bag brown bag wine tasting maybe. Yeah, I see that. Um, yeah. But but there's but but the, the the same thing was recorded as an episode for Alton's podcast. Um, and so one, I guess you can get um, the um, the audio, and one you can see the see the thing. But it's it's all it's the Alton Brown cast number forty nine um, with William Shatner, which is again just I mean really good i mean shatner is such a weird freaking dude and uh anyway it's just it's he makes alton brown uncomfortable a couple of times with because he just keeps asking questions at question after question it's just it's the weirdest thing so anyway highly recommended huh that's cool i uh i'll check that out and it uh, you know just looking at this um some coverage here on eater.com of this uh, of Shatner, Shatner's not Shatner. You're Shatner of Shatner's show. Um, it reminds me a little bit of um, the Jerry Seinfeld the web series a little bit. Have you watched that? Um, uh, comics and cars getting coffee. Yeah, I've seen one episode of it. 
it it's pretty good. I mean, it's really good. It's one of those things where um, I want to watch it not on YouTube or whatever the you know or, or straight on the website. I want to watch it on my Apple TV. So I have have not spent the time to make that happen yet. Um, and I don't want to. I I got a whole system. So, but I've watched maybe three episodes uh, of it, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's a real. I mean, it's a. Uh, yeah, it's it's something that that is on my list of worth watching going forward. So I'm, I'll check this out though. This uh, Shatner Alton Brown stuff. Um, as a weird Alton Brown crossover here, I you know, stole something from Merlin Mann a while ago on you know, writing things on index cards and putting them on in my PowerPoint presentations. Except I don't have index cards, so I started writing stuff on post-it notes and then once alton brown started using post-it notes on twitter which you and i have talked about as being really annoying so annoying yeah um then i was like so doug asked me are you just copying alton brown and now i can't use that anymore (laughs) because you're i wasn't yeah well and you're not posting on twitter but it's in a it's in a powerpoint i mean there's enough connection there that it looks like Mm-hmm. It just looks. It doesn't look cool anymore to me. Well, so I got, did you? Did, speaking of of Merlin and and Post-it notes and stuff. Did you see the talk that he gave in New Zealand, where yes. he basically, yeah, where he just. So what? What Doug should have said is, are, are you copying Merlin Mann? Right, and he wouldn't. He didn't know that, but that's exactly where I got it from. Yeah. So, well, and, yes. and so what? Yeah. It's it, well. It's, Every, I, everything. I think, everything is a remix, Ben. We, we should. We should share that with. Uh, that, that you, you're familiar with that website, right? Everything's I, a remix. Exactly. I though would rather be um, remixing um, someone cool like Merlin Mann, who would be maybe the M Ward of the um, public speaking circuit, as opposed to Alton Brown, who would be the Katy Perry. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> not. So there, that, that's it. Anyway, let's talk. Let's talk food safety. Let's do it. Um, so, so we got we we'll, we got some follow up, but I we I do want to get to outbreak flashback, kind of now. What do you think? Outbreak, you want, outbreak flashback has been on hiatus, Ben. It has. I know. It's you, you've been missing it. So, um, let me <laughs> let me do a, another Rolling Stones in, intro to outbreak flashback. Ah, should you be outbreak flashback? Ah. Outbreak flashback. There you go. That's from Shattered, by the way. Mm. Uh, I'll have to pay them some money because last time I did Heartbreaker, I think. <laughs> I don't think you have to pay them money if it's not recognizable. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's uh, uh, that was it was recognizable. It just wasn't well, very good. It wasn't very good at all. <laughs> I'm more. It, it, yeah, I need. I, I don't know. I, I need. I need a backing. I need backing tracks for this. Yes, that's that's what you need. Um, so, so first in our list, not first, but uh, three times in the list and number one, uh, is the Salmonella St. Paul outbreak that, um, MDD, uh, Michelle D. Daniluk, uh, podcast listener extraordinary has suggested that we talk about, and we haven't talked about this, right? Like this is, it's in here. So we haven't, is that correct, Don? I'm sorry. Who are you? Which one are you? <laughs> I'm I'm Ben. Are okay. you Don? I think so. I think we're going to do Sam, Salmonella St. Paul and let's do it. Peppers and Serrano it. peppers and so, tomatoes. Right? It was in tomatoes. It was in tomatoes initially. Huh? Did it move? It must have moved. It's so confusing, Ben. Oh, this one's a this one's a beast. It's a good one. It's a good it one. Is, I, I've it, used this one for teaching a couple times. Uh, 
I, yeah, this this outbreak is is one of the um, sort of I, I mean, really is something else. What what we wanted to do outbreak flashback about. So this this outbreak happened in the spring of two thousand and eight, um, and there were uh, a bunch of Salmonella St. Paul illnesses going on and in a, a, a bunch um the end of the outbreak there were over 1440 people ill uh um with you know confirmed ill from from this outbreak uh but initially if we look at um what the the curve looked like and when there was um illnesses being reported which was as early as uh the first week in june right before the outbreak curve started to see its downturn um you you see you know in the um you know 20 or 30 people a day uh that were um reporting illnesses and and so initially and this is uh you know something we've talked about on the podcast before uh just submitted a paper a little uh, about this that doug and i wrote about um uh, going public with information initially, uh, the illnesses were associated with um, eating tomato-containing dishes, and you've got a whole bunch of salmonella and a whole bunch of tomatoes, tomato dishes that have been associated with salmonella in the past. We'd seen five or six big outbreaks um, in uh, the late '90s, early 2000s, uh, from product that had come from Virginia and the Delmar Peninsula on the Eastern Shore. Um, this one, uh, for you know, looking back at it, um, and for all the conversations and how this has been all hashed out in talks and um, in places that, that I've seen it uh, presented, uh, it looked the same. It just looked like a really big tomato outbreak. And so the initial illnesses were um, were uh, found in um, uh, New Mexico, uh, Texas were the were the kind of the two big states overall. New Mexico had over 115 illnesses by the end of uh, the outbreak in Texas, almost six 560 559 illnesses, and um, and, and so you know it was it, it was these salsa dishes, um, and so at looking at the the data, CDC said we think that these uh, illnesses are associated with tomatoes. FDA said. CDC, we uh, we trust your epidemiology. We've had problems with this before, so we're going to go out and put out a health advisory saying um, we think that there are a lot of people getting sick from Salmonella St. Paul from from tomatoes. And damn, didn't that turn out to be maybe not right? Probably not right. I mean, there are still some folks on the epidemiology side. Um, Rob Tokes is is one who, you know, I don't think he's sort of been quoted or said this in anywhere. Uh, official form, but he he said to me um, as we were walking around an IAFP poster session a couple of years afterwards that once that announcement came out, um, and you can look at the epi curve, um, there was five or six days where the cases started to drop off, and it looked like it might have been tomatoes once those tomatoes were removed from from the marketplace. But then it started to go back up again, um, and and clear it was clearly not just a. Uh, a tomato outbreak, and in fact, if we go um, look at what CDC said afterwards, uh, that it was a jalapeno uh, serrano pepper uh, linked outbreak. But the, the the big situation with this outbreak, and I think why why MDD um, has suggested it three times, is that uh, it harmed going going public with that information, even though it wasn't you know completely correct, was 
probably, I mean, in my, my thoughts, the right thing for, for FDA to do, but the, the, uh, fallout is there's millions and I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, um, that were lost that, uh, you know, where this, that announcement, um, made it so people couldn't sell tomatoes. I mean, couldn't sell tomatoes right up and down, um, the East coast, which was in, that was sort of when the tomato season was, uh, here. So, and that, um, took a while to regain, but I, I, um, I believe it was, uh, estimated somewhere around $400 million that, uh, Georgia and Florida, uh, tomato producers, uh, estimated losing and ended up suing, um, the FDA for going public with that information. And, and did they win? You know, the lawsuit I think was just filed in early 2013. So I don't know. I don't know where that's at. I'm not sure if it's still um, in process or, or not. But it was definitely, um, and, and it, this has been definitely part of the conversations re- related to the produce rule, even though it has nothing to do with the Food Safety Modernization Act. Um, there were there were a lot of discussions uh, during the Produce Safety Alliance working groups, as well as conversations. Um, you know, here I'm, I'm most familiar with with our North Carolina um, producer organizations saying, "Look, um, y- you know, we can modernize what we do for good agricultural practices, but we really want to have a situation where um, producers are indemnified, or, or there's money available at least if um, a government agency says we." think that your product is making people sick uh, and it turns out not to be the case, you know, some sort of protection. So I don't, I mean, I just don't know where that's all, um, how that's all shaken out, but, uh, but it, I mean, it was, it was relatively recently. Yeah. And just, there's an article on food safety news from August of last year uh, with the headline, tomato growers want compensation for losses in 2008 outbreak. And that, that looks like, at least based on a Google search, that looks like the most recent information. But yeah, just before we completely leave the topic of this outbreak, there's a couple of things that we will definitely link to in show notes. One is there's a New England Journal of Medicine article that gives the case control studies, which which lay out why CDC thought that tomatoes were at risk. And, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast, and I know I've talked about it before in lectures. The, the problem is whenever you have <clears throat> an outbreak that's linked to, let's say, Mexican restaurants, well, what do you eat whenever you're in a Mexican restaurant? Well, you eat the same thing, right? It's tomatoes, it's peppers, it's onions, um, you know, salsa made from those things. It's dishes, other dishes made from those things. And so the the epidemiology becomes less clear because there's some things that everybody that walks into that restaurant is going to eat in one dish or another. So how do you how do you separate that out? Well, you can do a certain amount with you know, the statistical analysis in the epidemiology, but ultimately a lot of those things are, are confounded. <clears throat> the other thing that I think is, is really interesting, and, and again, we'll link to this, is there is the, the FDA's traceback investigation diagram, which shows just how incredibly complicated this is with grower A and grower B, um, and then the, the common packing house. And it, again, it just, you know, people that maybe are not in the food industry who think, well, how hard could it be? Well, read, read the New England Journal of Medicine article, read the FDA traceback investigation article, and then tell me 
how how complicated you think that it might be. Turns out turns out it's really complicated. So um, yeah, in, interesting interesting outbreak, and I'm, I'm glad we we had a chance to talk about it on on the on the show. I think that it's one that will be with us either because of lawsuits or just because it's so interesting um, for many years to come. And, and just to, to just to kind of round out the thought, I remember when this outbreak st- – I remember where I was when the E. coli and leafy greens outbreak started. But I also remember where I was when this outbreak started. I was at a conference in Europe with um, Michelle Daniluk and Linda Harris and – and Michelle was just getting phone calls in the, what was the middle of the night there in in Europe, and you know she just kept saying it can't be Florida tomatoes. We don't we don't have tomatoes on the market yet, so it doesn't fit with the the what we know about pr- tomato production in in Florida. And and I I don't I don't know. I mean I I can certainly see why the growers would want compensation. Um, I'm I'm not sure what the right thing to do is here because we, we often, we've talked about this on the podcast too, often we, we say that, that agencies should come forward with information, even if it's not complete, tell us what you know, when you know it, express the degree of uncertainty with that. I mean, certainly the agency was trying to do the right thing with their advisory about tomatoes. It turned out to be the wrong thing. But again, you know, back to that, that Paul Mead quote, if, if we're wrong, you know, we were too early, and if we're we're right, we were too late. They're almost like in a can't win situation. So, I don't, I don't I mean a lot of times we talk about stuff on the podcast, and I think you or I have a very clear idea of what was right or what should be done. In this case, I'm I'm not so sure. I'm really I'm really confounded about it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I don't think you know six years later. And, and like, you know, I mentioned, we wrote a, a paper on this, uh, just submitted to Journal of Environmental Health on, uh, you know, helping health departments look back at a history of these incidents. I don't think from what I've, from what we gleaned from the literature, what we saw in, in these cases that, that anything would have gone any differently. I mean, I, I, I can't, um, uh, uh, other than maybe more discriminately looking at all of the constituents of those salsa dishes that, you know, that it, maybe it was salt, maybe it was pepper, maybe it was um, cilantro, maybe it was pep, you know, the, the actual, not, you know, ground pepper, but, but pepper. And then saying, look, this is, these are all the things that are in there. Um, we don't know which one it is, but historically we've seen a lot of issues with tomatoes. I mean, I think that's the, that's the piece that, that tomatoes had going against them. So I don't, I, oh, but, know, but cilantro too, now that you mention it, I mean, correct. you know, so, yeah. and again, what's, what's in a lot of Mexican dishes? Well, cilantro. Yeah. Um, but, and I, I mean, maybe I don't know enough about cilantro production and tomato production to say, if you were to look at the wide, you know, how large this outbreak was, whether cilantro contamination would have, would have looked the same on, you know, it's, oh, it, it seems like there's an irrigation wash water issue. Um, with the tomatoes on the back. So, I mean, I, I guess it's the same, it's the same kind of thing, but, but I don't think it, I mean, I just don't think it changes. I think that, um, you know, maybe FDA is more heightened to this. Um, but also they have the added excitement of trying to coordinate this with, with multiple States. And in case, and in, in, in fact, with this outbreak, I think it was Minnesota that went first. And said, "Look, we think that there are people getting sick from tomatoes, and it forced um, 
uh, FDA to to do something. I you know I could could be wrong on that, but I, I remember correcting. Let's see if we can find something for show notes. I think that's yeah what it was. There was definitely a state that went first. Um, that uh, you know that the those health department food folks um, you know both. Uh, pushes pushes this forward but yeah i mean it's it's a shame i i agree i don't know um i don't know what i what i feel like about the um the industry protection side of things and whether that ends up impacting public health it's just like um companies suing health inspectors or health departments i mean just like when uh um the late bill keen was was sued by del monte um, for going public with uh, with um, information and associating their specifically their brand products with illnesses, um, with you know, and, and Del Monte thought with without uh, proper connection or proof or, or whatever, it just puts the this really bad situation in the hands of um, uh, something at the back of of a public health. Um, agency's mind of if we get this wrong we you know we personally might go, have to go to court on this not this is part of my job and I've, i'm trying to make a decision with the best possible information that's the part that makes me the most uncomfortable about it never want to have public health folks second guess what they're doing because of a personal connection and not making decisions based on uh you know the data that they have in front of them well but we we always do that, right? I mean, we try not to, mm-hmm. but we always do that, right? I mean, we're humans, and we, we have that – we know that additional context in the world. But, I mean, how do you – I mean, I don't – I mean, yeah, it's it's we should, it's something we should be alert to. It's like when I'm reviewing a paper by a, a, a person I know that I've collaborated with, I know they do good work versus you know, cl- reviewing a paper by somebody who maybe I don't have as high a reputation of. And I try to just look at the work and I try to be as critical and maybe even more critical of my, my friends, right? But, but at the same time, I, I know that that's influencing my decision. Uh, yeah, absolutely. What if, I mean, so I think we already have that, that pressure, but now what if you had this extra level of if I, you know, let's put it in the review sense. Well, if I give a pass or if I accept this and, and I'm, um, and, and for whatever reason, my decision puts this paper out there and it turns out to be wrong and someone sues me as the reviewer, you know, I, I, clearly that doesn't happen mm, in our world, well, but, but it, it, yeah, you know, it, but, but, but journals, journals do get sued sometimes for publishing stuff. And, and ultimately it's the editor who handled it that, right. that would get the lawsuit. Right. Yeah. So it's, so it's this extra, I, I mean, I think we're always going to have these, these biases, these, these things that, that are going to um, go into these complex decisions, you know, they're, it, but an, another level on top of that, um, a, a complexity, I, I don't feel like it, it you, especially in, in a situation where it's like, well, if we shut down this industry, if my decision shuts down this industry, I'm going to have to feel something financial uh, about it. Then, then maybe I'm not going to do anything because I know that if the people who are getting sick from it don't know that I'm waffling on this information or that I'm, I'm my, my judgment is, is impacted by this industry question, um, that they're probably not going to sue me. You know, I, I just, I feel like it, 
and maybe this is me being too utopian about it, but it, it seems like that um, that added level of protection Im- could impact public health more negatively than if it wasn't there impacting public health more positively. I don't know if that... I feel like I need to diagram this on a whiteboard. But. Well, and, and maybe the solution – I mean obviously the industry or, or companies need insurance um, and, and I guess I don't – again, we're not lawyers but I would think that public health agencies would need some kind of liability insurance and, and they, ha- they, need to have, they need to have a process. They need to show that they follow the process. And if that's the case, then they, you know, they shouldn't, they, you know, their liability insurance should cover it. I mean, I hate to, hate to think that we live in that kind of world, but that's the practicality. That's why you have insurance, right? For when things go wrong. And so, um, maybe, maybe that's the solution is to put this, you know, to, to, to basically have, have insurance in case things go wrong. And that might be an industry screwing up and contaminating food, or it might be, or or a state, you know, uh, has insurance to handle when, when something, you know, things are bad, things are said about a particular commodity in the state, or a public health department has some kind of insurance to handle when they make a, they make a wrong decision. Yeah, I know. I think that's a good, um, that's a good point. in certain states, I think North Carolina is one of them where, um, the law is it's not about insurance it's that the that public health the government cannot be sued like there's no it's not that they're carrying insurance on it it's just the um i think we talked about this a while ago about um changes to to that uh, around protecting um small farms uh, with regards to to outbreaks but it was that the you can't sue the taxpayers cuz you uh, essentially have a stake in in um, in it yourself, like that's mm-hmm. the way that our laws is, right. is built here. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's none of this stuff is as simple as cook, chill, clean, and separate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only it were. Oh, it, it, it's good, but it's good to talk about this. I mean, this is, and this is why we do the podcast, and this is why you know I hope folks like listening to this because this is a, a really good situation. This is a big outbreak. This is not a, you know, you got. You know, fifteen hundred people sick. You've got hundreds of millions of dollars, and, and it really comes down to having good resources in place to make sure that you you can make sound decisions and being okay with those sound decisions if they're wrong, um, and and making that sort of open. I mean, that's the that's the thing. In in, in this case, clearly, if I was a, a tomato grower, I would have thought that the system did not work at all. Um, but in a in a public health standpoint and, and not having a stake in any of the money involved in this, um, I feel like the system worked a little bit. I mean, we we essentially got to the to the right answer. It wasn't that oh, this is tomatoes, and then I just smacked my hands together like I was dusting them off, like I'm done. That's what the sound was beside my microphone. But you know that we're we're done and we're out of here. But it was we think it's tomatoes. So there's a health advisory, but we're going to continue to investigate this. And when new more information became available, with the pressure absolutely of that industry saying, look, it cannot be us because we're, we don't have anything in the fields. We don't have anything that's shipping. Um, that once that, that happened, um, you know, the, a, a different, better decision was made. But, but it doesn't save the, that bad decision at the front end or not a bad decision, the decision made with all the information that was available. I mean, there's, there's going to be sides to this and there's going to be feelings that someone was wronged and someone was right. But I'm, I guess I'm going to err on that side of if, if it was 
a situation where they try to get stuff off the market than good. <laughs> yeah, well, and and the other thing about this outbreak is that there's, I mean, there's sort of a conclusion, right? Like the the outbreak strain was isolated from two environmental samples, agricultural water and serrano peppers on farm B, which grew peppers and both types of jalapeno and serrano peppers, but not tomatoes, and harvested produce from mid April through mid July, um, Colorado isolated the outbreak strain from a jalapeno pepper from the home of a case subject, traced it to the grocery store, which had been purchased from another distributor in Texas, and the source of those jalapeno peppers was not determined. So it's like we kind of yeah. we kind of sort of traced it back to Farm B, but Farm A also was growing tomatoes and peppers and harvested in the same time frame and did supply an indirect supplier to the packing facility. So it's not it's not like Jack in the Box where it was like, well, they didn't cook the burgers, right? I mean, right, right. You know, it's like, well, we kind of sort of traced it back to this farm where we found the outbreak strain, you know, and, and we found it in in water and on peppers and environmental samples. But you know, it's it's well, it's, it's also kind of like the uh, the leafy greens E. coli leafy greens outbreak. Well, we traced it to one region. And we found it in um, wild pig feces and maybe some other environmental samples, but far from the field that was the implicated field. And so, you know, with these with these produce outbreaks, it is such a long time from when we finally learn of an outbreak and we do the trace back. I mean, often when we get back to the the farm level, that farm is is closed for the season. So, you know, there's not even that satisfying thing of, well, we, we solved it. It's like, well, we think we kind of solved it mostly sort of, except for when we were wrong at first, <laughs> it's yeah. just not a, it's not a, I mean, and that's why it's so interesting from, from a reflective perspective is it just shows just how complicated it is and how easy it is to maybe, to maybe get it wrong and how hard it is to get it right. Yeah. And, and it, it corresponds, I guess kind of nicely to to the next thing that I that I threw in here this morning that we haven't talked about that we've we've had email discussions about and we and we've we've chatted a little bit about on Twitter but is this other situation that that we have with listeria on peaches and, and other stone fruit um so you know let me let me try and make this this connection for you Don and see if you have a similar thought on this you know here's the situation that um, that for whatever reason hit at the right time in the um, public mind and, and media cycle that it it had more legs as a story with no illnesses with a pathogen that is probably not a public health risk. I'll come back to that probably. But with this particular item, since it doesn't support the growth of, um, uh, of Listeria as far as we know on the outside of it, um, that, that, that was, I guess, a little bit striking to me. Um, and and you have a situation where this recall um so this is wona i don't even know if i'm pronouncing that that correctly but is that was the the name of the um the packing facility that had shipped reportedly shipped some of these stone fruit um peaches to and stone fruits and peaches and specifically to um uh to australia um australia new zealand food safety authority NINSFA, that's the acronym uh, uh no through you know got through the um the 
importation exportation process uh the receiving company had done a sample and found um listeria monocytogenes in um within the limits that are allowable uh for their um you know, for for the regulations in in australia but then um you know fed back that information to the pack facility and said look we found some lm um on your product uh and now the that PAC facility had the responsibility to do something about it because of the, um, you know, the, the regulation that we, you know, we have a zero tolerance for, for LM on any ready foods and, and our peaches ready food. Um, so, so something that was, you know, seen in, in the ex, the importing com- country is not a public health risk is seen as a public health risk and then led to, I mean, just you know, a, a phenomenal amount of coverage on this, on this product. And, Absolutely, you know. I'll give you a, a very clear message that I received from a um, an extension a- agent saying, "Look, we have because we were in peach season here. We have peach producers that can't sell their stuff because their people are worried about Listeria monocytogenes on them." Um, so there's you know there's impacts for for something like this. Now we didn't have a health alert, but th- but FDA abs- you know because of the the regulation absolutely had a. Um, a, uh, a advisory, a product recall advisory uh, on this product that led to um, recalls of baked goods um, from Wegmans, and I, you know, I assume because the Wegman baking process is not validated for listeria reduction, um, you know, whatever whatever the reason reason is. But I mean, this was a big. This became a much larger deal with no illnesses, and in my mind, not a public health risk. Um, and it, and it maps this. I mean, it's, it's, it's the going public with this, this type of information for a regulatory reason. Um, but it, but it, it leads to all this other fallout and, and people not making a lot of money or impacting the, um, the industry. And it's, you know, it's different because they're not illnesses, but it's, but it has a similar kind of flavor to it for me. So I don't know. I mean, in this case, I'm on, of the mind of, well, that was dumb. And and I I say that in a very trite way. I mean, maybe maybe there were there was some risk reduction that happened because we don't we don't know um, a whole lot about what the um, facility situation was, uh, what their you know if they had a uh, you know food safety plan, if they had good clean breaks. I mean, maybe the the peaches came back lower than the uh, Australian New Zealand Australian allowable tolerance, but um, but how many samples? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of guessing here. Maybe it did have an impact, but it seems like this one was 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 dumb to me. Whereas going you know forward with uh, you know 300 illnesses, uh, which turned out to be 1500 with the um, with the Salmonella St. Paul situation was not dumb. So I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm trying to convince myself of some consistency here. <laughs> so what are your thoughts? Well. Yeah, you know, so I'm doing a Google search for this, and I found uh, this food safety news article, uh, Aussie Listeria test led to recall of a likely already consumed California fruit. Um, and uh, some smartass named Don Schaffner posted a comment, says, uh, highly unlikely this fruit will make anyone sick. Given the levels of LM detected, I'll wager $100. We never see any illnesses from this recall. Will anyone take that bet? Somebody responds, uh, I'll take that bet. Uh, oh, Jeannie Kui, um, uh, I'll take that bet and then provides a link to Food Safety News and says, see message board. I'm not sure what that means. And then somebody replies to that. 
A newbold uh, had severe unbearable abdominal pain, prevented me from doing anything, going to work on Tuesday, fatigue since then, chills and headache, ended up seeing my PCP, that's a personal care provider. He suspects it, suspected it is listeria. I don't know how. Um, I ate nectarines from Wegmans probably a couple of days before I had the abdominal pain. I received an automatic automated call saying I should discard the nectarines literally the day after I ate them. I'm still sick and not myself. Doc said it can take up to two weeks to get rid of the infection. So whoever makes that bet so whoever makes a bet speak for yourself i've never felt this before that's why i went to see my pcp um and i posted a just now uh, incubation period likely too short we need a stool sample um but um i realized that somebody later on made a comment uh saying that uh for the gastroenteritis the listeria incubation period could be two to three days so that is consistent so i just edited my comment to say we need a stool sample (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's, it's a re- another it's a, another really interesting example because we have um, – and I think we're going to see more of this, especially for listeria. It, it, there are countries that have a tolerance. We don't have a tolerance. I think we should. Um, you know, I, I would like a lot more data. I mean, I would love for somebody to pay a lab to take a – a bunch of this product that's that's no longer saleable uh, that we know we found listeria in some samples, and test the whole lot and 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 figure out on a fruit by fruit basis what's the prevalence like is it there yes or no and if it is there what's the concentration um, much like the stuff that uh, Linda Harris has done for almonds right I mean again I hate to keep talking about how wonderful the almond industry is and how wonderful Linda Harris is in part because she's never going to listen but. Um, this is this would be really important information to know if we had contaminated stone fruit. Well, okay, so we got one positive sample. I, I want to know more about how that was detected. I want to know how many samples. I want to know, you know, again, could somebody take the, that fruit that's part of that and then test the the, the whole bunch of it little by little? Again, and, and Marcel Sweetering has done some of this. Same sort of stuff with batches of infant formula, looking to, to, to see prevalence and concentration over the entire batch on a small sample-by-sample sample basis. That's the only way we're going to really be able to move forward from a, from a risk assessment perspective. So that's kind of what I'd like to see coming out of this. But, huh. um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's, again, it's another fascinating problem where nobody – did anything wrong necessarily. I mean, again, I guess I'd like to know more about what happened at that facility. Um, you know, maybe they did do something wrong to have listeria. Um, yeah, what did they do and what are they doing to fix it? Maybe more importantly, but just from a risk perspective, what what's going on at that um, uh, uh, Wawona packing company in Cutler, California? You know, I'd like to know I'd like to know what caused the problem. Well, and and maybe I mean this is the um, the uncertainty out there as well on this is maybe they didn't do anything. I mean maybe this is well, a, a yeah. transport contamination. I mean you're right. Like this is it, it, there, there's so much that that we don't there's so much we don't know about this one. Uh, and and like you know, like you said with you know going back to um to the same same paul there's still so much we don't know about that we're we're really looking at trying to make best guesses with the information that we have but there's i mean in both of these situations we have a very um 
you know, outward facing response, right? Like, like we, we don't know a lot, but, and, and I guess, I mean, if I was, I, I, you know, I don't know the good people at Wegmans very well at all. Um, I just happened to sit on a panel with somebody at IAFP, um, from Wegmans, but, but maybe if I was in, you know, in their shoes or was advising them and someone said, look, we, we know this particular product was recalled. We know for sure that that lot that we have was used in this type of product. We have a pretty good guess that, um, that our process for baking danishes or, or whatever cakes, um, would take care of it, but we definitely don't have data on it. What do we do? I mean, maybe I'm of the same mind of saying, look, let's, let's not take any chances. Um, here. So I guess, I mean, you know, I, I keep pointing at Wegmans cause that was the, the ingredient linked to something else, but for the same, um, for the same reason, I mean, maybe it, because no one wants to be the first Jensen, right? No one wants to be the first place that, that we sure we don't have a lot of information. All, all, uh, as the magic eight ball says, you know, all, uh, uh, indications point to no, but, but we don't want to, we don't want to be the first one where all of a sudden this is a yes. Um, and we didn't, we had a chance to do something. We didn't do anything about it. I mean, we left that product out on the, on the marketplace. I mean, you know, contrasting this with, um, with foster farms who we've talked about, um, a bunch on the, uh, on previous episodes who, who, who basically said, look, um, there's salmonella in chicken. We're not recalling it kind of thing, you know, the, and this, the skewering that happened to that company and, and, you know, not skewering, I mean, whatever we talked about them a lot and I thought that was a bad call. So in this case, there it's a, it's a bad call because there were no illnesses, but had there been illnesses, um, that, that popped out associated with it, maybe I'm saying, Oh, you know what? That was a good call. You're being overly cautious. I, <laughs> ah, I don't know, Don, I'm being inconsistent myself. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm sucked into food safety news. Um, and, and on another post, which we'll also link to called, uh, entitled fruit recalled for potential hysteria contamination, Wegmans recalls fruit desserts. Um, there's a bunch of people chiming in, um, talking about having foodborne disease, 148 comments. Um, so, um, and wow, you know, I mean, again, no, I haven't heard of any lawsuits, um, and, and again, we should say food safety news is underwritten by Bill Marler, food safety lawyer. But um, wow, you know, um, there's maybe there's something maybe there's something going on here. I mean, again, this is the time of year when people are eating a lot of these kinds of things. But boy, there seems to be a lot here, um, including women that have had uh, stillbirth, and uh, again, one person with. Um, well, again, it's it's hard to sort it out. And again, one of the things that. You know, we're we always try to be skeptical about people saying that it's this and that. But um, here's somebody saying I was diagnosed with listeria. Again, we don't know whether. Again, there's people saying I ate this, I ate fruit, and I got sick. There's people saying I was diagnosed with listeria. Um, so uh, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, there's enough something here that I'm willing to uh, go against my other statement and say maybe there have been some cases. But again. Um, I know not, nothing from Marler about lawsuits or anything, but wow, there's a lot of comments here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't know. I mean, this is the, this is why we do this, right? Maybe, maybe there's something here. And, and what, what I guess is missing is in this whole discussion is, you know, you and I are just 
sort of sitting back and we talk about things that we think are interesting and things that we um, we have some insight into. But there are a whole bunch of public health folks that might be investigating these illnesses that we we don't hear from. I mean, we we know we know folks, but no one is kind of um, putting out this information by saying, "Look, we we've got." We, we're investigating links, and this is the information that we're going on. Here are the, um, here's the, the data that we have. And so, so it leaves us, you and I, to, to do some speculation or, or you know, waving our hands back and forth about what, what we don't know, where maybe there's someone out there who does know more about this. And that, I guess that's the, just like the going public discussion and going back to, um, to Sam and all St. Paul, is if, if that's the case, instead of folks guessing about it, it would be nice to, to have um, some information uh, about this. And, you know, I look at um, uh, CDC, they, they, you know, just on FoodNet, they, they estimate um, that in 2013, there were 0.26 cases uh, uh, per 100,000 people uh, of Listeria um, illness in, in the U.S. And for every listeria case reported there are two cases not diagnosed and so with with listeria and with campylobacter in, in the same way we we don't see a lot of outbreaks but we do see a lot of sporadic um you know relatively speaking for the pathogen there are more sporadic cases than um than outbreaks so it, i don't know i mean uh, who knows who knows don this is fun it's fun to talk about, but there's a lot of people out there that probably have more information about this than we do. Well, and, you know, what's interesting is this is kind of out of the news now, right? Absolutely. And I'm just wondering, I mean, there are a bunch of people saying, you know, I mean, people saying I'm diagnosed with listeria. But again, I wonder how much of that is a is a, a lockdown for sure diagnosis or just a doctor saying, well, yeah, it seems like listeriosis to me, you know? Um, I don't know. This is, uh, and then they, again, there's a lot of people, uh, saying, uh, uh, I ate some fruit and I don't know if I'm going to be okay. <laughs> right. So, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, then again, all these comments are from a month ago. So, so mm. who knows where it is now? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or, and if it, and maybe, I mean, here's an, another uh, situation that that if you know maybe there was some some stuff that was done on this early on because it was in the news and people started looking and then all of a sudden it wasn't in the news anymore and people aren't reporting anything so it's, so you know case closed or whatever I don't know <laughs> uh, it's but this is I mean uh, I mean we've now we've now talked almost an hour on this Sam and St Paul outbreak that's morphed into this but and and, and thanks to Michelle for this because it, that. That outbreak demonstrates a whole lot of uncertainty about stuff, and that that we're seeing in other in, in other out, uh, um, situations. Well, and you know, now I'm on the Wawona website, and on July 31st, they had an expanded recall notice, right? So the voluntary first voluntary recall was the 19th, and then on the 31st, an expanded recall, which is right before IAFP, which which meant that a lot of us were probably at a meeting about food safety and maybe not following this. Well, so let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, what to you when you see you, we haven't tested each other for a while? Um, <laughs> when you see expanded recall, what is that? What, what what types of questions come you know pop up in your mind? Well, we often see expanded recalls. So, 
it's not surprising. Um, I, I think it maybe points to an underestimate of the significance of the problem. Um, uh, let's see. Well, so and what the what the I'm just reading from their press release. Uh, they're expanding the recall as a precautionary step to uh, to cover all products uh, from June packed June 1st to July 17th uh, because the company's experts have yet to identify with scientific certainty the source of LM in the facility. <sighs> so, yeah, <Right. laughs> that was yeah. I mean, so that that was the part that when I saw the expanded recall mm-hmm. um, that that I thought about, and, and it it kind of goes back to uh, this fact sheet that Michelle and I wrote a, a year and a half ago on establishing sanitation, clean breaks, and produce facilities. That from from my experience, there is usually in a pack facility one lot a year. You know, if, if you try to apply the same principles um, to uh, meat production or other processed food where there is a, you know, often a, um, a equipment has been built to either clean and sanitize in place or establish lots because they're, you know, they're worried about um, contamination um, and, and, a, and a very strict regime uh, for, for establishing those. Um, I, I don't see that same process, um, and especially around Listeria in, in pack facilities. And this came out of this um, birch farm situation that I was involved with a couple of years ago that we talked on about on the podcast. It was uh, a cantaloupe and Listeria situation, which really got me all riled up about the zero tolerance situation. But the more we looked at at that facility and then uh, spent some time with others, there's a lot of um, you know food contact surfaces that, because of quality reasons, um, were, were not built to clean and sanitize. Things like carpet um, and sponges on the on the line that that keep the fruit from bruising, but make it so if that was a niche for for listeria, it would just be um, sort of potentially festering. I was going to say inoculation <laughs> machine. See every time we've talked about Jensen cantaloupes, right? Exactly. Exactly. And and that's, I, I think more the, I don't want to say it's the norm. I mean, I haven't been out to every facility and I, don't, I can't speak to lots of other industries, but, but I, I've seen more situations like that than not mm-hmm. where, yeah, there, there would be in, in, you know, in my mind, you know, this is going to this this line that I'm looking at is going to be really really hard for you to clean and sanitize every night, mm-hmm. and, and so so that you know when I saw this expanded recall, I thought, okay, well, there's this initial situation, and now probably after some time, either FDA or maybe the California um, Department of Health, Public Health, I think is the um, jurisdictional folks there have been out there and taken a look at it and thought, you know what, um, you guys, if there was some listeria here. It could be, uh, as you say, uh, you know, um, be, you know, being applied as, as part of an inoculation machine here. And, and Or, I mean, so that was the, the first thing that I thought of. The second thing I thought of was for all the talk about um, the importance of traceability uh, in the system, th- there still is a lot of cash sales um be and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons for that i mean there's a lot of um the market dictates a lot of very quick movement of product and and cross docking and moving um uh food from you know maybe it's sold uh 
uh, once or twice while it's on a truck being transported somewhere. So it changes hands. And trying to track down that information, I think, is really difficult. So so to me, it's like, yeah, if traceability is really good. Um, we should all do it. But the, the reality is it's not as simple as, as we think it is. And maybe some more information came came to light that the that specific lot had been shipped elsewhere um, around around the same time or or at different days. You know, maybe that lot wasn't a really a lot. Uh, so, so I, I mean, the, uh, it, but, but that, all of that is not a story at all, right? The fascinating part of the media is that the story was there was a recall, not what triggered the recall, not the particulars of the, of, of the pathogen. I mean, all the nuances that we've just spent um, 40 minutes talking about, which, which I think are the fascinating part for the food safety world, really don't make the story. And that expanded recall doesn't make the story. Um, it doesn't doesn't lead to anything new. By the time the, you know, why is that news to someone who's not on the food safety beat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just in the original, the July 19th press release. Um, uh, it says the the recalled products were shipped directly to retailers and wholesalers who resell the products because we. This is um, um, Wawona talking because we do not know the locations of the companies that purchase the products from our direct customers. The companies issu- issuing a nationwide recall and like you said, it's a cash business. Um, a lot of times these are so so it's it's cash business with not good record keeping. A lot of times the people that that purchase those products. Um, uh, them themselves, you know, at a roadside stand or in a farmer's market, will pay cash, and there's no transaction there. I mean, one of the uh, one of the comments I read earlier on the the food safety news blog post was about a customer who got an automatic uh, call from Wegmans. I mean, that's part of the reason when I when I, I go to places like Wegmans, I use my shopper loyalty card because I know that that identifies me to them as purchasing this product. Now, again, that's giving them information, and we can talk about privacy and big data and all of that, but um, it's to me, it's a measure of security because if I if there is a recall and I don't hear about it, I know that they've got my information on file as having bought that product. So, which is which is a, a good thing. So so yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's uh, the, yeah, and you know, and the other thing too in terms of the food safety news beat. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff in the news. I mean, we had the IAFP meeting. We have the the peanut butter. Uh, Peanut Corporation of America lawsuit going on right now. Um, it's kind of slipped off people's radar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it goes in it goes in cycles. It's um, you know sometimes we have these um, these outbreaks where there are real illnesses that that make no impact, and then you have a situation like this that I guess you know maybe it happened to be in a in a time where you know it was pre pre Ebola. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That, yeah. In terms of bi- biological yeah. uh, news, Ebola's pushed everything off, you know. And then uh, you know all the, you know, Ferguson is in the news right now, so everybody's uh, upset about that and talking about that. So uh, yeah, it's a, the 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 dangers of the twenty four hour news cycle is that, that that sometimes the interesting stories maybe get lost because of other more high visibility or more important things going on. Yeah, I I mean uh, that. This is not in the show notes, but it, it makes me think of, um, you know, something we did talk a little bit about in the um, IAFP super special podcast, uh, again, about um, non-traditional news sites jumping into the fray to do more in-depth stuff like Deadspin, who were all about clickbait for a while, now hiring folks that are, you know, Pulitzer Prize winners um, to, to do in-depth food safety stuff, to, to tell these different 
different types of stories in a non-traditional spot, which I, I don't you know. I'm a fan. I love the I love the internet. It seems like that has a has a chance to turn some of these stories on their head, as opposed to um, the you know being stuck into the traditional cycle. I mean, the places like 538 and Grantland, um, and you know, from a pop culture and sports and in different spots, they're they're just so as a, as a reader, they're just so much more interesting to me. And and some of the um, you know the deadspin in, in depth stuff is 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 taking the place of the um, you know New York Times Magazine. In, in my priority list of this is bigger, the Atlantic or uh, New Yorker uh, as being um, interesting stuff, but it's just a different format. So anyway, the, it's, it's, it's all, it's a bit all over the place, but, but I mean, ultimately, you know, if, if, if I can predict what we're going to see at IAFP two years from now, I bet you we're going to see 15 papers and posters on Listeria on stone fruit. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Like, there's yes. people are going to find money to do this. Sure. And they're going to go do and and like you said, that's that's a worthwhile way to answer this question. But had this not been a story, what are we looking at? Not you know maybe that's not even there. Is this you know if this one sample isn't pulled in in um in Australia that's within their limits but not within ours mm-hmm. are we uh, you know it's the butterfly effect ashton kutcher is here in my office and wants to talk about it <laughs> oh man <sighs> so yeah well and, and speaking of which hopefully um not to profit from other people's misery but but hopefully the grant proposal on packing house sanitation uh that michelle submitted this year that i'm a co-pi on will get funded because you know there's a lot of more work that we need to do on this yeah, absolutely, uh, and it's and it's good. I mean, if, if if this helps us highlight some of that stuff, um, and I'll always, I'm I, good luck to you all. <laughs> oh, Don. Well, hey, I, we've been talking for an hour and a half. I think that's probably a show. That's probably a show. This is great. It's good to get back in the groove with you. I missed you. Oh, I told I mi- you that I'm, already. Well, I missed you too, but I get to see you at IAFP. I know it's different though. It is. I like. I just like hearing you in my head. <laughs> different <laughs> differently. In my ears. Um, so thanks thanks a lot. Um, as always, and we will get back into the swing of these things. We try to do these every couple of weeks. Um, please, oh. if you like what we do, go to iTunes. And uh, even if you don't like what we do, please uh, let us know um, what's uh, what, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, give us comments. Send us an email. We've got comment fields on the podcast website. You know, Please give us some feedback, uh, and we'll do our best to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. We read all those comments and, and are able to respond to um, virtually all of them, I think. So so please do um, help us. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us what you want us to ask. Tell us, you know, things you want us to talk about, and, and we'll, do, we'll do our very best to uh, meet your needs. Absolutely. Well, hey, um, I, will, uh, I will talk to you uh, later, Don, and uh, thanks again. Have a good day. Thanks. You too, Ben. Bye. Uh, bye-bye.
Cool. Hey, that was good. It was fun to get back into this. Yes. Um, okay. So what? So now we're we're kind of establishing our new pattern, right? How do we? Are we going <laughs> to alternate show notes with our two show note folks? What do you want to do? Yeah, let's let's do that. So right now they're in a competition. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> they're uh, they don't know that. Um, but uh, yeah. So. Um, one is doing bats and one is doing Bassett. Um, you're working on the one with Doug. Yep. And I've got the IAFP show notes too. Oh, right, 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 right. So, yeah. so, so yeah. And so, um, so let's, so let's do this. I'll take audio on this one. Okay. Because I'm not doing anything except sort of supervising the other two show noters. Perfect. And I've got um, audio for, for yeah, you don't have access to audio for the IAFP one, and there's no After Dark. It's actually a really easy one. Right. And and, and I'm assuming you're going to do show notes. I'll do notes, yeah. yeah. And it's also, yeah, easy. I started taking notes when I was doing it. Okay, great. Um, and I think, did I, did I send you notes? I think I was collecting notes. Did I send you notes? Well, I don't know. One? Can you resend them to me? I'll, I'll look did. and see if I, uh, yeah. uh, if I have them. They might already be on the Dropbox, but I'll let you know. Okay. I do not see them on Dropbox. Okay, I will. I will look and see if I if I did them. Okay, and you. So just so we're we're cl- correct or clear, you have the show notes for the one with Doug. Is that? Oh, true? okay, sure. Okay, is that? So I'm it, I'm good. Is that good? Are you? Cool oh, sure. That? Okay. Um. So I should. I did half of the. Um. I got. I got to. I don't know maybe right towards the end where Doug started getting tired and I gave up on editing at that point. So I got to go back and finish that. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I think probably tomorrow, probably I can get it all done. Okay. And I'm with you. I think if we can, um, put these out once a week for the next four or five weeks, that would be great. Yeah. I I don't think we want to put them out more than once a week, but I I think once a week is probably good just to kind of get us caught back up. I, I feel, I mean, it's not a news show, but, and obviously today, August, we talked about something that happened in July, but I think it was still relevant. I mean, a hundred yeah. plus comments on I, that blows my it's mind crazy. still. And and not all of them seemed wacky, right? Like yeah. a lot of them were like, well, no, I did eat this product from the recall and I did you know, go to a doctor and they said it was listeriosis. So they're not, they can't all be crazy. So I think I, I may have lost a hundred dollar bet to somebody. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but I... Um Maybe they will uh, not um, ask you to pay up. <laughs> yes. Hopefully not. Hopefully this is not a situation where there are people sick. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I got to go see Rich Linton give a talk about the college at two o'clock. I was going to. I was going to say Rich Linton giving a talk, but about the college, of but, course. Yeah, because yeah. he's the, he's he, a big he man. Doesn't, he doesn't do any real work anymore. He he he's <laughs> tell him I said some, that. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> he's trying to do some some real work, but I think his. Uh, his uh, other work's getting in the way of his real work. <laughs> oh, well. He does listen to us. Um, really? Yeah. Well, he, he listened to a couple of episodes. Huh. So, and so, so Rich, Dean Rich, if uh, I, I think that the other work that you do is real as well. Don, but he doesn't work for you. <laughs> no, I would like to, if he wants to hire me. Okay. Um, I, well, I want to move to North Carolina. Oh, it's beautiful here. It's the place to be. We'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll link to Rich here in the, in the show notes. Oh, here we go. Oh, here's, here's one. He's eating ice cream. Oh, yeah. There we go. We'll, we'll, we'll link to the, uh, the Dean's ice cream. Um, um, okay. So 
uh, FST episode 60 X X X. I think, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm just writing the date down. So yeah. 60 X X. And that is, uh, so yeah. What time do you want to, Oh, right. Sorry. We get, yes. Sorry. Get back to, uh, yeah. So I don't have anything for, uh, for after dark today. Got nothing for you. Well, that's okay. Uh, Rich has some ice cream for us. <laughs> oh, perfect. Good. Oh, Rich. Rich well, likes. Rich. Rich likes. They named it. No, he got to choose a flavor. I right. Think. Right. He settled. The dean settled on two finalist flavors: ice cream A, which is dark chocolate tart cherries and white chocolate swirl, and ice cream B, dark chocolate chart, tart cherries, chocolate chunks, and marshmallow swirl. <clears throat> he likes. <laughs> like dark cherries and chocolate chunks. Apparently, apparently. I like dark, dark cherries and dark chocolate's a good combination. You know what? Was speaking just to take it back to the beginning of the episode. One thing that uh, that Todd uh, and and Wendy shared with me from Todd's awesome drink mixer collection is they have some cherries like that are like the maraschino cherries from drinks, but like not like fit that fake red color of maraschino cherries, oh, yeah, but yeah, right. but actual like real good. Not fake cherries that were like this this dark, almost black color that had a really great strong cherry flavor that you would use in a drink like you would normally use a maraschino cherry, but uh, just like and they're they're kind of a little weird looking because they're not that fluorescent red color that you're used to, but oh so good I don't remember what they were called, but oh. uh, yeah I'm not a huge fan of uh, cherries in my drinks or in my ice cream for that matter, but these were good. I don't like cherries, like, raw. Danny loves cherries. She eats a lot of cherries. Not my thing. But I do like, uh, like, a black cherry ice cream. Hmm. Yeah, no, I will get them occasionally uh, uh, when they come in season. Um, and then I get a giant bag and then eat about half of them until I'm sick of them. <laughs> throw, yeah. throw the rest out. Nice. Uh, I made, uh, I had the most, like, tart blackberries i like to eat blackberries I eat a lot of them mm. um because they're they stand up in the in the fridge mm. for a while mm-hmm. so if i don't you know i like to eat them with cereal anyway i had r- the most tart blackberries that i made into a uh, red wine blackberry reduction for the pork tenderloin i made last night nice it was really good nice yeah yeah we uh, did i tell you when we went when we were in new hampshire we went blueberry picking and so we got uh, a lot of blueberries which Kristen was able to get prepped and frozen while i headed off to iafp so we got blueberries for pancakes slash blueberry margarita slash you name it awesome oh that's good um cool all right well i'm gonna go eat some lunch me too uh have a good week and i will see you on the texting thing (laughs) the text the text horn as they call it What they call it? Yeah, that's what I. That's what they call it. Um, speaking of which, let me give you a little after dark. So, so sure. Sam. Um, oh, how, is, now, now, who's the one with the punctured eardrum? Uh, Sam. He's how's he? How's he totally doing? Fine. Totally okay. fine. No, he in fact had no. So he had an ear infection. Didn't tell us that his ear hurt um, until the night. You know, two nights ago, and then uh, woke up the next morning feeling fine. I looked at his ear, and I was like, oh, you have blood in your ear. Hmm. Um, And so when we took him to the pediatrician, they said, yeah, typically what happens is um, the pressure builds up, Mm -hmm. and then it punctures. And once the pressure is relieved, it doesn't hurt anymore. Um, So he's it's just a little bit, you know. um, But so he he and I, we've got this thing on Saturdays where we go grocery shopping, and often that leads to a trip to Starbucks. Um, And he... Uh, wanted to go 
not in our normal cycle of a Saturday, but on Friday, he's like, can we go to Starbucks? I said, no. And I, you know, we lie to our children and say things like, ah, Starbucks isn't open. Um, you know, it's whatever. And so he says to me, no, they texted mommy. And the, in the text, it says we are open. <laughs> it's like, oh, great. So now he's lying and it's all involving texting. Yeah, well, you know, you guys started that. I know, I know. We, we, I have no one to blame except for myself and, and my wife. Uh, all right. Um, well, I'm going to go. So I will uh, talk to you later. And right. I will uh, throw th- um, my – do you want my – well, let me know if you want to copy this up in Dropbox. For? For audio copy right are you doing audio for this? i i am i am doing audio and uh you know we're both on high speed line so it should be good i will okay. i will go ahead and do what i usually do which is to clean up the audio levelize it and then upload it and then um what i've been doing we should probably talk about this what i've been doing which you may have seen if you looked at dropbox is just making an episode uh, making a folder for yes. each show um, and I'm, I think I'm going to keep doing that unless you have a strong objection. No, keep doing that. I like that. It made it easier to sort for things. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's cool. Well, if you need anything, let me know. Yeah. No, I should I should be good. Um, I think I am, my call recorder is working. I did. I heard you get a little fuzzy at one point, but it's. I think it's. It'll be totally fine. Awesome. That was probably when I realized my Dropbox was still on. Oh shoot! <laughs> ah. I, I didn't do anything with mine, but I'm on this massively fast uh, uh, internet connection here, so probably probably we're okay. Yeah, cool. I, uh, I, I'm so out of practice, Ben. I, I forgot to do all the things I normally do. We'll get we'll figure it out. Back in the groove. Back in the yep. groove. All right. All right. I will talk to you later. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.